Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me today are our managing editor, Jim Fryer, and our technology editor, Jay Sharp Smith. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Uh, Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. And our uh, 2022 Volume 2 edition is out now. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com slash intelligence. Jim, you're first up this week. You have a story about IHS Towers. Tell us about it. Yes, this was uh, actually uh, written by John Celentano, who does our deep dives on international properties like this. And IHS uh, uh, has become one of the major global players in uh, tower business. They are originally based in Nigeria and then have since since grown. They had 16,700 towers in in Nigeria and then Sub-Saharan Africa and South Africa. And so they kept adding to it. Uh, Peru, they added another seven sites. Uh, Middle East, North Africa, uh, Kuwait, they added 1,400 more sites. So um, originally, though, IHS was a, a spinoff of uh, MTN uh, in Nigeria. And um, it was the, the biggest MNO in the country. And then it had 7,000 yeah, close to 7,000 towers in Brazil as well. So um, all told, the, they're, they're up at around the 39,000 level uh, on total tower inventory. So that's a, that's, that's a pretty, pretty fair number internationally. And uh, again, making them one of the, the major players. Uh, John reported that the, uh, they reported their, their annual report, which uh, John does a great job of that for us, their, or their quarterly report, excuse me. John does a great job of that for us, and uh, he was uh, following up on their on their second quarter report, uh, which they had capex of 147 million dollars, uh, and that and that folks was compared to only 76 million dollars for uh, the year prior to that. So you can kind of see the, the 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 growth and what they're what they're projecting as as well. Um, it was driven though. The higher capex was driven by uh, activity associated with uh, the MNO license that was renewed in Cameroon. Uh, it's refurbishment associated with MTN South Africa acquisition, fiber deployments um, in Latin America, and new site builds in Nigeria. So, um, again, as, as uh, John Salantano reported, that uh, their outlook for the full year uh, incorporates. Um, a acquisition for uh, it's called GTS SP5 and uh, the MTN South Africa ap- acquisition in May of 22, as uh, we had reported prior to this, uh, 
but it reduced its planned tower build program for the year to about 1,750 sites with bigger reductions in Nigeria and Brazil. And mainly that was due to time and overall soft market conditions, uh, no doubt brought, brought about by, uh, by COVID. Uh, so they, IHS now expects their 2022 revenues to be in the uh, 1.8 to $1.9 billion range. Uh, and uh, previous assessment was around at 1.8 billion. We're close to the same. So they hadn't really raised their guidance that much. And their uh, adjusted EBITDA guidance in the 1 million to 1.025 billion range. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much unchanged. Total CapEx is still expected to be in the 545 to 585 million range, and that is uh, up considerably from 402 million invested in uh, the same year, same quarter last year, 2021. So we will keep, and John will keep an eye on on IHS as they um, continue to grow as uh, again one of the one of the the big global players in in the market. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Sharp, you. We're going to talk about Freedom Mobile, I think. Yes, uh, staying on the international theme, um, the uh, this week uh, Shaw Communications we're in, we're going above the uh, above the border here in, in Dakota, and uh, Shaw Communications uh, sold uh, their Freedom Mobile uh, unit to uh, a company called uh, Videotron. Uh, which is a subsidiary of Kevacor uh, uh, for you playing for those of you who are playing along at home. Um, that uh, all it's a lot of different uh, names there, but uh, uh, what I think the most in, uh, interesting thing about uh, uh, this sale is uh, uh, two things. Uh, the uh, the first is. Uh, Videotron is now going to become uh, uh, the uh, de facto fourth carrier in uh, Canada, and, uh, and the second is as uh, the uh, the sale really had to happen uh, for uh, for for the merger between Shaw and Rogers uh, uh, to occur. So basically, Shaw had to uh, Jettison Freedom Mobile to uh, to make that happen. And uh, uh, I think it's interesting that uh, um, that Canada uh, now has a, a fourth uh, major carrier, and um, uh, in the U.S. Uh, we uh, we now have four uh, nationwide carriers with uh, with Dish, and uh, so I think that uh, uh, you know. What we uh, what I see is a trend to uh, to to more competition in uh, in wireless, and uh, uh, I think that we'll uh, we'll see how it all plays out, uh, and uh, see what the market does with uh, these providers. And uh, uh, but I think that uh, I think it's good for wireless, and it's good for uh, for getting a lot of the different applications that uh, we've been talking about uh, for 5G 
and that uh, uh, with four four nationwide providers, you're going to uh, you're definitely going to see somebody's going to be definitely in you know shooting for a niche, uh, and uh, it's not it's not all going to be just bland. Uh, uh, a subscriber service for consumers, so it uh, I think it bodes well for for a lot of the uh, the the things that we've sort of imbued 5G with is to have uh, uh, to provide a lot of data services and uh, uh, perhaps uh, industry 4.0 and um, as I say uh, two times uh, is a coincidence, but uh, when you have uh, Three times it's a trend. Um, we, I, I covered another news story this week. Uh, um, a German uh, MNO uh, called One Plus One is uh, shooting to become the their uh, their fourth uh, 5G network. And uh, uh, this week is notable because they uh, they completed. Uh, uh, what they call a friendly user test. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but uh, uh, basically it's, uh, it was uh, probably a partial beta test uh, with, uh, with real customers. Uh, and uh, uh, so that was notable because they, uh, they achieved speeds of uh, one gigabit per second, uh, as well as stable data transfers for about eight uh, terabytes of per customer within 24 hours. And uh, they were very pleased with that. Uh, and uh, their next their next goal is to uh, is to start rolling out fixed wireless access by the end of the year. And uh, so you and you should see one in one uh, probably rolling out uh, uh, mobile their mobile network uh, in the summer of next year, 2023. So, uh, so basically um, you've got Germany with four national carriers. Now you've got uh, Canada with four national carriers and, uh, and the US with four national carriers. So uh, I can only imagine that, uh, uh, that as far as the industrial, uh, industrialized countries that that will be uh, that will be uh, maybe the norm as far as 5G is concerned. So, uh, if you don't, if you look, you don't have to look too far back uh, uh, into our wireless history uh, um, to find a time when uh, we technically had three carriers in the U.S., but only two were building out the system, their systems. The other was just sort of hanging on. Uh, oh, so Sprint, yeah. Yeah, it was Sprint. Yeah, uh, Sprint, and, which uh, was pretty much underwater. Yeah, yeah, and uh, great idea. It's just bad execution. Um, but uh, so, so yeah, this is a brave new world, and I think this is uh, uh, something that's really going to uh, to benefit uh, towers. Um, you know, it's uh, definitely definitely some changes going on. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sharp. So a federal appeals court rejected a legal challenge to the FCC's 2020 decision to reallocate much of the 5.9 gigahertz band, um, which was set aside for auto safety. It did that to accommodate wireless devices. The auto safety industry fought the change to reallocate what was 60% of the band. 
Um, originally, the spectrum was reserved in 1999, so automakers could develop technology to allow vehicles to communicate with each other to avoid crashes. But when the FCC made the change, um, it said the band was underused, we reported at the time. And in 2019, uh, the FCC proposed keeping the upper 30 megahertz of the band for use by intelligent transportation systems and repurposing the lower 45 megahertz for use by unlicensed devices like Wi-Fi routers. The FCC proposed changing the technology that would be used by intelligent transportation systems. Vehicles would move away from dedicated short-range communications in which they don't trans uh, communicate with cell towers. Instead, vehicles would start using cellular vehicle-to-everything or CV2X communications in which they do send transmissions to cell towers and other devices. And the commission voted to make those changes in 2020. So at the time, the Intelligent Transportation Society of America and the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials, last year they challenged that change in the U.S. Court of Appeals. Now the District of Columbia Circuit for the U.S. Court of Appeals has upheld the FCC's decision. Um, the opponents had argued that the decision was arbitrary and capricious. They also said the agency didn't adequately explain the decision and unlawfully revoked or modified FCC licenses. The uh, court this week said, uh, no, it was not arbitrary and capricious. And the commission's action was, and I'm quoting from the court decision now, well within bounds. It said uh, the agency devoted 20 paragraphs of the order to carefully considering the needs of intelligent transportation systems. So the court dismissed the appeal and it denied petitions for review. NCTA, the Internet and Television Association, called the decision an enormous victory for American consumers that enables that important 5.9 gigahertz spectrum to, to provide consumers with even more reliable high-speed Wi-Fi and access to next-generation automotive safety applications. Former FCC Commissioner Michael O'Reilly, who worked hard on this topic when he was at the agency, called the decision great news. He said adding this 45 megahertz to the U.S. unlicensed portfolio after a long, long fight and we get to see what CV2X can bring to auto safety. The groups that challenged the decision did not immediately comment. Um, in 2020, the U.S. Transportation Department said that the FCC plan could endanger public safety. So too did automakers and major cable telecom and content companies said uh, the spectrum is essential to support growing Wi-Fi use. And most recently, FCC Chair Jessica Rosenworcel, she's chair now, she was a commissioner when this decision was made, said it upholds the FCC's broad authority to manage the nation's airwaves in the public interest. She said the decision recognizes that by allowing the spectrum to evolve, we can advance newer safety technologies and grow our wire wireless economy. I can think of a recent example 
where the FCC also modified licenses and the people who held the licenses were peeved. That was the C-band decision. Um, the FCC has the power to do that. So, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, uh, Leslie, you know, in terms of, uh, of, you know, what's going on with the six gig band uh, mm. and, uh, you know, as far as, uh, as far as the future of Wi-Fi is concerned, it's um, uh, the decision opens up the uh, the uh, really a protocol that's already in uh, in in uh, being developed uh, Wi-Fi seven uh, and it's uh, it's it's going to be providing uh, just really a whole new world of Wi-Fi and in terms of uh, uh, it, it combines, it will combine three different bands. Uh, so right now with Wi-Fi 6, they've got uh, 2.4 and then 5 and 5 gig. Well, now they'll have access to 2.4, 5 gig, and now 6 gig. And that will provide uh, 320 megahertz channels, which provides a uh, which makes 4K QAM uh, and advanced multi-link implementation such as high band simultaneous multi-link. I don't really know what any of those words mean, but from what, I've, uh, from what I understand, uh, Wi-Fi 7, uh, Wi-Fi 6 is pretty good, uh, but Wi-Fi 7 is, is gonna be blazing. And so what uh, you're saying is this decision opens the way for more Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 7. Yeah, basically uh, Wi-Fi 6 just all uses the first two bands. It, this, this makes Wi-Fi 7 possible. Okay. And it doesn't really surprise me that the FCC did this and stuck to their guns because uh, I mean, Wi-Fi 7 is, it's, it's a train on the tracks and uh, it needed this spectrum. Uh, so uh, it, uh, um, and it's going to be used uh, around the world, and it's going to be really fast and uh, and make uh, Wi-Fi um, really a, a viable option, perhaps uh, with uh, with some inbuilding uh, uh, 5G. It's um, so so yeah. There's a uh, Wi-Fi just doesn't it, it refuses to stay in one place and sort of roll over and die. Uh, they keep in improving that uh, that uh, protocol and and uh, really making something that uh, uh, continues to be a viable uh, technology. All right. Well, thanks for that. That's a wrap. Thank you all for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown of the week's news, check out our Saturday edition. Otherwise, we'll see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.